or should yep. I just recording? Oh, beautiful. Oh, wait, let me uh, give a recording. Okay, so um, welcome to In Three Talks. Uh, this is, I believe, In Three Talks uh, six, uh, six from twenty twenty. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of bonus efforts episodes in between, but I think this is like the sixth yeah. um, in in three talk of this year. Yes, yeah, so uh, welcome, Aaron. We have a, a a new person joining us, a new guest, uh, Denise Saunders. Hello I'm to you wife. as well. She's not <laughs> yeah. No, I know. No, I've gone through that so many times. I am yeah. his sister. People even say we look alike. So why would you think I was his wife? But yeah. I'm his sister. Hey, you never know. Sometimes uh, married couples, when they hang around too much together, you know, they start looking at like. But um, so today we're going to talk. Uh, so as usual, it's going to be a free flow of in three talks. Um, but and we Denise is joining us, so we can talk freely about this new, um, not new, but I think Erin and I have spoken about it. Is about financial capital, and since uh, Denise is a CFO. Uh, she comes from Wall Street. Perhaps we can take a couple of seconds to introduce her or she can introduce herself. Denise, yes. can you? Oh, okay. Can you? Yeah. So just a little bit about my background. Um, got my MBA from the Stephen Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan uh, with my full intent to go back into consulting. Um, however, I met a tremendous um, charismatic kind of mentor, Carla Harris from Morgan Stanley, who kind of talked to me about Wall Street. Um, and so throughout that course of the summer, I came into the city, met with her. She put me in touch with some kind of amazing kind of mentors and um, kind of decided that I wanted to go into investment banking. So we did investment banking, uh, corporate finance for about four years, then transitioned over into equity research where I covered um, an eclectic mix of small and mid cap retail companies. Then I transitioned to small cap strategy, and then from there um, came back uh, to Merrill Lynch, where I did small cap strategy, finished my career uh, there doing investment strategy in charge of that kind of Northeast, really helping uh, the retail and high net worth investors with asset all allocation and things of that nature. All right, and so as yeah. part of the strategy stuff, that was kind of the kind of bring it closer to little like minuscule cap companies like Clearly Innovative. Part of part of that was kind of, um, and also so sort of people understand why it's important what you have to say. Part of that is kind of um, doing analysis of companies, right? Exactly. I mean, Talk it's really more about that, right? So, I mean, I guess in today's layman's terms, people call it kind of um, market research, right? And even as an investment banker, when you're bringing a company public right? You have to value that company. And so in order to value that company, you need to understand the market in which they operate, right? And so you need to do your competitive analysis. You need to do your, your industry analysis. Um, and you need to figure out where does that particular company, you know, or product per se, um, fit within that market and kind of who's going to buy it. So that also kind of brings in the, the, some of the work I did when I was a management consultant too. And so that flows through the equity research um, when I was kind of covering kind of a stock but then also when we're working with entrepreneurs, right? When we're working with entrepreneurs, we need to understand their product. But most importantly, we need to understand the market that they would like to operate in to make sure there is actually a market for it. And if there is, how do you position your product and that business within that market? So let me ask you, um, you know, so how, is, how did you um, join Clearly Innovative and Inclusive Innovation Incubator? And so when was that? So interesting, not to get too personal, but um, I was diagnosed with a kind of rare autoimmune disease. So I was in that hospital for three months 
um, paralyzed. And, you know, when I got out, um, trying to figure out kind of what I wanted to do. And initially, my plan was to just kind of help my brother with kind of some free consulting, free financial <laughs> um, advice and services. Um, but then what was supposed to be a couple of weeks started to do a couple of months. And then I really um, kind of his passion sort of became my passion, right? I, I really saw what he was doing, especially around the um, tech education work and, and um, his passion for really helping, you know, the black and brown community. Um, so I just uh, have been on board and that was kind of five years ago now. I think actually going into six, wow. I mean, one of, one of the things that, um, you know, that I want to say is, is that, um, you know, we meet entrepreneurs very often who are uh, sole proprietors. They are doing their own thing and they're by themselves. And without a doubt, I could not have accomplished all the things that I've accomplished without the support of, uh, of Denise. Um, specifically, you know, when, when we talk to entrepreneurs, we always say you, gotta, you have to know your strengths, you know your weaknesses, and you create a team around you to support you. Um, although I do have an MBA. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I would that you tend they, to forget as well. He, he forgets. He forgets. You, so you both forget it often. It's just like uh, have, somebody has to ask you a couple of times before they. Uh, I just don't, numbers aren't my favorite thing, and uh, for anyone, even for the people just starting out with their business or people running their business, it's like they always say, "You got to know your numbers. You got to know your numbers." And so what I say is, if numbers aren't your thing, then make sure there's someone on your team that knows their numbers to kind of support you and help you be successful. And Denise has been that person for us. I mean, it's helped us kind of accomplish all the things that we've accomplished. Right. I mean, and, and I guess the one thing I, I even um, know from some of the entrepreneurs that we, we've worked with, they might have kind of a great idea, a great product, but it's astounding how many of them don't even have a, a graph of their numbers. I mean, I, I think we had a pitch competition at N3 and, um, you know, I think someone was asking them about the numbers and they said they don't know. And I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, how can you kind of not not know what, you, what your numbers are. And even in some of the sessions that we run, um, just helping them understand kind of the basic of financial statements and, and, and why it's important to kind of understand them uh, you yourself and not necessarily just having a, a CPA who's running the numbers, why, why it's important. Um, I'm, I'm astounded at how many people in our community just don't have a grasp of those numbers. But like Aaron often says to me, it's because, you know, I love numbers, I love spreadsheets. And so things that come naturally to me because I've, I've been involved in it for 17 years and, and I, I enjoy it, it's, it's easier for me to understand. And so I'm, 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 I'm trying to kind of help um, some of the entrepreneurs that we work with understand the importance of the numbers and, and why they need to have a kind of solid grasp behind it. Yeah, and uh, one of the things that we should note is that you, you were the instructor for the inclusive innovation uh, labs and the financial statements and which benefited uh, a lot of the entre entrepreneurs. So let's uh, now that you know the, the, the lay of the land. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> we kind of covered uh, covered uh, yes. the, per the person who we're going to talk to, uh, including with Aaron, is um, I want to, so the, this question goes to both of you in essence is uh, given the current climate, uh, you know, one of the main things Aaron and I have spoken with in three talks separately, but today we want to make sure to have a, a person who has a CFO who has a financial background and he said who best than uh, my own CFO. Um, what is your what is your, what is your thought about financial capital, venture capital, in terms of coming into the underserved community, an underrepresented community with high potential? Aaron, that's right. for you. 
no, no, no. It's for both of you, the question, oh, but sorry. the high potential, because he always says it's high potential, but they're not given the opportunity for it to actually perform. Right, right. I mean, it, it's interesting because um, uh, I took Techstars, had a, a venture capital course there that I took this past spring. And so I've been doing a lot of research, not only within the book, but also just kind of media and articles kind of about the space and, and the lack of um, venture capitalists that are black or African-American, the lack of money that goes to um, African-Americans, blacks, and especially women. And, you know, typically even what they were saying was that, well, it's it's tough to, to find people and they just don't, don't, don't meet their qualifications. But part of it is, is like kind of what, what are the qualifications? I mean, Aaron and I were having this conversation the other day. It's like, we've seen kind of money that has gone to, to kind of white people for ideas or concepts that many would seem ludicrous, right? And that we've seen money that has not gone to kind of black companies um, that, you know, have, have a concept that should have skyrocketed were it not for the color of their skin, right? Mm -hmm. and, and part of the issue too is that regardless of what anybody says, a lot of these deals get done by who knows who, right? I mean, because even the class they were talking about, you know, people like, well, would you give somebody a recommendation? And he's like, well, if I don't do the deal, you know, I'm not going to give you a, rec a recommendation because my name is on the, the, the my name is on the line, right? And so, if you look at the space, there are few African Americans in the space, and as we know, a lot of business gets done, corporate America, private sector, public sector, with by who you know in your network. And so surely by the fact that there aren't many, you know, people that look like us in those rooms making those decisions, you know, we're, we're not getting chosen more often than, than, than not. And so the excuse that, oh, well, that, you know, their concept or they don't have, you know, the numbers that we're looking for is not necessarily true. In some cases, it may be. I mean, I was listening to a, um, a webinar the other day. And, you know, one of the things that they were talking about was the fact that a lot of VC firms are looking for kind of that hockey stick growth. And if you look at the industries that that most you know people of color are operating in, right? They're in kind of the retail education space, and I guess unless it's ed tech or fintech, right? In the education space, it's you won't necessarily get those you know that ten times growth, right? Or or ten mm -hmm. times return that they're looking for, right? So you know one of the things they were talking about is we need to get um, you know more VC folks focused on the fact that if you really want to get into the space with people of color, you got to come to where they are. And you not necessarily expect kind of the 10 times growth, right? Aaron, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, thoughts on that. The, the other interesting thing is, um, you know, a, a person of color could start a mom and pop pizza shop and it's a small business and multiple generations can run it and they could be fine. But then someone else can start and a pizza. Right. Right. So it depends upon the narrative and who's around you and how you pitch what you're trying to deliver. Right. So the, the idea, like, look at Starbucks, for example, if someone would have said 20 years ago <laughs> that a coffee business is a scalable business, you would have gotten laughed out of the room. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But if given the right support and the right folks around you, who knows that business might be a scalable business. So one thing I might, I, I'm trying to find another word to say might argue. I might when I might theorize <laughs> is that there are potentially once we said high potential and high growth business ideas that probably do exist in the black community. It's just unfortunately a lot of us aren't programmed to think that way. 
or we don't know the market and the industry well enough to take that concept and scale it, right? right? So if you don't have access to the resources and the networks or someone who really knows that industry and sees that idea and says, shit, I know how I can make that a billion dollar company, then right. you're just gonna plot along trying to get grants or a small business loan and run your business and then wake up in five years and see someone who has you know one of the things uh we talk about is uh, your network is your net worth mm -hmm. um and, and in terms of that just uh, following up on the venture capital side um so we 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 know that the community is uh, there's a vacuum in network let's let's call it the vacuum because we're quite disconnected and there are many uh, silos and some groups and so on but there's no interconnectivity you know there's a, a study that was, they were saying that there's just about three percent of vc uh partners in the us are black uh in 20 in 2018 and so how do you uh you from you from a wall street perspective and now as a cfo of n3 and aaron from a founder perspective a business owner perspective uh and and, and denise as well now that you, you're also starting your own business uh, on the on the financial side um where do you see the venture capital in terms of how do you plan to galvanize the venture capital into your business let me let me touch on one thing before we go to that and okay. it's my thoughts on, so I try to, you, Rahel, you say I'm too negative all the time, so I'm going to try and be positive. I'm going to say something <laughs> positive first, and then something negative. Yeah, okay. So I think this heavy push to educate, support, increase the number of um, uh, people of color that are in these venture capital firms or are closer to where the money is, is great. But I think that once again, they're missing it an amazing opportunity because this is the question I asked Denise the other day. I'm like, hey, if I decided that I didn't want to do IN3 and Clearly Innovative anymore, like mm. I have 20 something years of knowledge in this space. Like, why can't I be a VC? Why can't I get a job at a VC firm, right? No one's offering programming or training or support for experienced people of color who could potentially add value in some of these firms they're, to me, and this is my negative part, they're doing what they normally do. We're gonna let you in the room, but go sit at the kitty table, right? Mm. So it's, it's like, I'm certain that if they said, hey, we, I think it's just like a lot of other things. If you find extremely intelligent, knowledgeable, hardworking people, irregardless of their, you know, financial, uh, I won't say financial background, but basically what I'm saying is there's high potential people who have experience in these industries already that are people of color that if put on the right track can mm -hmm. like i think start to add value at a higher level in some of these firms uh, and you can start to see the numbers change more quickly than if you say hey we're going to just start by creating programs at the college level to try to help get more people of color into the venture capital world does that make sense mm -hmm. what i'm saying yeah yeah no I, it does I mean, I think it's the same thing like in the investment banking in the private equity space too, right? Because you look at kind of the folks that end up in VC, right? They're looking for somebody that has that private equity experience, that has that Wall Street experience, whether it's the sector experience, like you've been an investment banker in the tech sector, or you are a research analyst kind of covering the tech space that you have that industry. So I, I, to your point is they're not valuing the, you know, your real experience versus experience gleaned through Kind of an investment banking track or a private equity track right un un unfortunately i mean because if you look at the the level of those those associates or those um 
the staff that are doing that research, um, the, the mm -hmm. VC, they're coming, they're junior, right? Yeah. So they're the, the junior analysts, the junior associates that are that are doing the industry analysis, that are putting together the financial models. Then they bring like you know a, a subset of those up to the kind of the, the next level in the VC firm, and then they decide which ones they're going to take a deep, deeper look at, right? So it's really not it's really the high level people in the that for example, someone with Aaron's experience, you're kind of making the decisions, right? So you're not doing that analysis. They're relying on the junior folks to do that analysis, so, unfortunately. So so what's happening is in the, so this is kind of my, the magic trick that I'm talking about that kind of happens <laughs> is like, look over here, yeah. but in the end, it's going to, let's, let's, let's assume that all these programs are great, mm -hmm. right? How many years will it take before right. they yeah. move up in these organizations to actually have impact and make a difference? Right. I mean, you, you so look going back, just just as a pause, uh, Denise, and, and and I want you to continue that thought. But I think piggybacking on what Aaron was saying, uh, which I want you to talk about as well, when you're in terms of the requirements to be a VC. I think you you both had a dialogue, and you were sharing with me about the requirements to be. A, uh, for instance, if you you Denise wanted to be a venture capitalist, what are the requirements? So oh the oh yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so you you have to either make uh, for the past two years and subsequent years, two hundred and fifty thousand in your income. I think it's three hundred thousand um, for if you're married. No, no, two hundred thousand. Sorry, two hundred thousand, um, and three hundred thousand if you're married, or a million dollars in net worth, notwithstanding your 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 property or your your home. Right. So so really, how many um, you know people of color really are going to hit that 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 mark? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean. And and you can be a non-accredited investor, but what you can then invest in it's 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 very small percentages. It's like ten percent up to a cap and, and things of that. And so it's tough for people of color to kind of get in that space. And that's you know what some of them what I've seen are trying to get into this crowdfunding opportunities where you can have a you know you can kind of invest in some of these kind of startups um, that that you can think might pop up. I think Aaron sent me a link the other day, and friends actually I did invest in that in that uh, startup. Which I mean, one? I did was. Uh, it's the one about the data. I thought I'm not supposed oh, to say the name. Uh, the one. Yeah. From, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we don't need to say the names. Yeah, yeah we don't need to say it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, I mean, yeah, but that was it was, but, it was a low proof. It was like two hundred fifty dollars for like you know ten ten shares. Well, the interesting thing is like we won't say the names, but like these these two or three uh, um, black run companies most recently came out and raised all this money in crowdfunding. I think the top one raised a little bit more than a million in crowdfunding. And it's like, I mean, it's, we should celebrate that, hmm. but it's like, why aren't there more? Yeah, and that's a one, two, why did they have to go that direction? Right. Mm, mm. Right. Let's, yeah, let's, yeah. let's, let's celebrate their successes, but, but not get too comfortable with that and just say, well, this is how it is. This is how we got to get our money. And then just let everybody else off the hook on fixing the other problems that exist. Right. I mean, our goal is, you know, with CII is to, um, you know, Can you get introduce this what CII is? Yeah. Oh, oh, CII is a community innovation initiative. That's uh, LLC that Aaron and I put together. We're continuing to do some of the tech ed stuff, but primarily with the focus on um, the finance side. So doing some financial literacy courses, we're doing financial modeling, we're doing kind of understanding, you know, financial statements. So really kind of taking yeah. my 17 years of experience um, and kind of, making something parallel to what the business that Aaron has grown 
from a tech ed side, because right, because just like you know, he started this because there were um, few people of color in the mm-hmm. in the tech space. I mean, similarly, you can look at you know Wall Street, right? And when I started in Wall Street, I was the only African American woman in the investment banking side, right? I mean, I I consider myself to be a pretty smart person, but I mean, I know that I'm not that smart. That there's nobody else that um, could could have been there as well, and so. We're trying to kind of make the difference, make 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 a change, and and we need to just like with the STEM, which we now started that with, you know, kindergarten, so we go take K to twelve and kind of young adult. We want to start that on the financial side as well, right? Because it's a matter of you're being accustomed or or you're being familiar with the, the terms. You even know understanding Wall Street. I mean, when I started Wall Street, I mean, we didn't talk about stocks and bonds, you know, in the house. I mean, when we talk about Wall Street, I was like. You know the Dow. I mean, what Dow 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 Chemical? I mean, what, what Dow, Dow Jones? I really wasn't sure what that was, and so, you know, and that was already after I graduated from college. And so, I mean, if we kind of start these programs, like for my kids, so we went to school in the kind of the Princeton West Windsor School District, Blue Ribbon School District. In middle school, my 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 daughter and son they were doing stock analysis, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm sure there are a lot of inner city kids that aren't even, you know, doing that, even in the high school. And so my, my plan and my hope is to kind of bring some of these, you know, financial programs just to expose, you know, inner city kids or, or people of color to kind of some of these terms and some of the job opportunities in there. Because, listen, it's not rocket science. I mean, I can tell you, I was really, before I started my summer internship in investment banking, you know, I was a little, you know, worried because I was like, oh, my goodness, they were talking about you know, most of them were from Harvard and Wharton. And, you know, I went to Michigan, which was not at the time known for kind of be a pipeline to investment banking. And so I was like, oh, this is going to be so difficult. How am I going to put together this model? And it's like, you get there and you're like, wait, the model's already created? Wait, what? <laughs> so it's really kind of just understanding financial statements so you know how to plug and play. And with valuation, you know, everything, it's it's a kind of, you 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 learn. Right. I mean, I hadn't taken a course in I hadn't taken my finance class yet before I did my internship there. But um, listen, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's not as hard as they make it out to, to be. But it's just that you have to get the opportunity to kind of show, you know, how smart you are and that you can you can shine in those spaces. Mm. You know, it, it's uh, it's interesting because it's quite timely. The the whole, like, you know, financial literacy aspect. So uh, I'm extremely happy to hear about CII um, and the work that you're you have been doing and are continue to build on. In regards to, you know, the, there's, we're still counting and going back uh, to what Erin's uh, discussion about financial capital and we're just starting now. Um, the, the reality, we're still counting the first of, of African-American representation. We're still thinking, uh, you know, the first va- black valedictorian, the first service chief of military, the first uh, mm, uh, mm. CEO, the first, you know, we're still counting at the first, yes. first, first. So how do how do um, you see? Because one of the main thing that uh, you, Denise, from a financial literacy perspective, and from a tech perspective, how do we break that to create more more first and seconds and thirds and fourths? So how do you create a cohort of underserved and underrepresented communities, uh, understanding that these are the two main pillars of the future? Do you understand my question, Adela? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you know, kind of as as Denise said you know, the purpose of the Futures Written in Code and kind of the STEM and, and entrepreneurship program that we're doing that's being like pushed ag- aggressively right now, not only by us, but you know, they have the Hour of Code and they have all these other code, code, code programs for all these middle school and high school kids. Um, I think, you know, that will pay dividends eventually, 
right? And we will start to see the change and we'll hopefully start seeing less of the first and first. But I think, you know, what the intention to do with CII is to apply that same level of vigor, passion, you know, emotion to address um, uh, a better understanding of just finances, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, it's, it's interesting that, that technology went first before finances when fi understanding finances has always been a critical need, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Technology just appeared in like the last 20 years and suddenly somehow it has now leapfrogged finance as the important thing for kids to learn instead mm -hmm. of like, how do I you know how to count my money basically? Yeah, I think a transition about careers opportunities, right? I, again, because I think that in people's minds, it would be easier to get kind of um, people of color into tech jobs where they're technically some jobs of kind of behind the scenes jobs so to speak mm -hmm. right whereas mm -hmm. a lot of the finance jobs you're kind of front and center and you're dealing with kind of executives and things of that nature i mean that's just my oh, you I know su su supposition but i think that's why kind of the tech came first before the finance right i, I think that and i think also just culturally you know that industry's been around a lot longer Mm -hmm. and, yeah, yeah. And Ingrade, uh, yeah. sort of uh, yeah. <laughs> barriers to entry, should I yes. say? <laughs> there are just cultural barriers to entry that have existed um, for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. right? Tech was relatively new, and so it's kind of easier. That's what's frightening. As hard as it is to change the tech industry to bring more people of color and we'll even throw women into the industry, right? Mm. And that industry isn't even you know, anywhere near as old as financial services industry, right? Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. that it's going to be a much, much, much harder push to change the financial services industry just because of how long mm -hmm. it's been the way that it has been. Yeah, I mean, if you take a look at, again, in the financial services industry, it's, it's sad that people of color have had to start their own firms, right? Start their own VC firm, start their own investment bank, to boutique investment banks, because you know they've they've tried to kind of make inroads into the corporations where they were working, the financial institutions that they were working, and they could only get so far and would only, um, you know, have so so much uh, rights and and kind of ownership to those companies that they had to move and move on and become successful in their own right. Hopefully, yeah, that, that will change. Sorry. No, in terms of, and that's an interesting um, parallel because the financial, because technology entrepreneur, tech enabled technology companies would need finances. So let's go back to the financial capital. Um, for anything that you want to do in, in today's world, you need the financial capital because when the, the whole discussion even um, as we were talking in terms of the venture capital is the finance, is the money, the money, understanding the money, managing the money and, and mobilizing the money that you need from technology aspect. And, so the, and it brings mm -hmm. it back to where you started, which is your network is your network. Your network. That's mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. That's right. If you don't have the network on the other side, yeah. it's yeah. hard to bring it all yeah. together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 